0: Welcome to the Make the Future podcast. I'm your host, Jacques Bove, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Ottawa. Join me as I connect with our alumni, students, industry partners, and researchers to explore the future of technology and innovation and how, through creativity and collaboration, we can make our own future.
1: They say the future is coming, but that's not true. The future is already here and it's relentless. It's not going to wait for you to catch up. How will we live in this future? How will we make sense of it? To define our course, we need a new perspective. One that engages our curiosity, that activates our imagination. One that defies the conventional. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it.
0: Welcome to today's podcast. Today, we're on the road again in Canada North at TV, And we're joined by Dominique Asal, director of UX at UI. He's worked in a variety of market sectors, including telecom, government, finance, health, Consumer electronics, e-business, e-learning, and network operations. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Pleasure to be here.
0: We're also joined by Danielle Vantier who's a U. Ottawa Computer Engineering two thousand and five alumnus. He alumnus. He's a team manager at UITV for a year and a half now, and he's worked in several different companies and different roles at IBM Canada, Macadamia Technologies, BlackBerry Link, Prairie Fire Software. And thank you very much for joining us, Danielle. Thanks, my pleasure. Alright, so how about when you tell us a little bit uh, uh, about what UITV is all about?
3: So, we're a software company. Uh, we specialize and focus in uh, the media market. So, what we do is we, uh, we have a product called the UI Engine and that product targets multiple platforms uh, of smart TVs, mobile devices and uh, consoles. So what that means is that uh, what we offer in that product is that uh, TV markets and smart TVs are super fragmented. Uh, There's no common uh, SDKs that you can write an application once and reuse many times.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Our engine solves that problem. So uh, we target 10 different platforms uh, from Tizen TVs, Xbox One, Apple TV, iOS phones, Android phones, I'm missing a couple. So, in engineering here particularly, we do, we build the product, but we also build the applications using the product as well. Uh, and when we build applications, we uh, we collaborate with uh, the UX designers
0: to actually come up with uh, plus like user experience. So when you're talking about the application, is that like the interface that I would use when I'm connecting to one of those yeah. devices? Yeah, so
3: basically you would open, you would uh, say you launch an application to stream, uh, a complete example, news, right? Okay. Um, our applic- We would write the application that runs on the television to show you your, your news feed, for
0: example. Okay. So, so that's a lot of different products. Yes. That means that you need to be, in spite of having one engine, you, I yes. guess you need to tailor this to a whole bunch of different people.
2: Absolutely. Not only different people, but in hitting on the different products, there's different interaction paradigms, right? You're using a remote control for a TV, mm-hmm. you're using your fingers for a tablet or a phone, you're using a controller for an Xbox. Or a, or a PlayStation, mm-hmm. so it's different sizes, different interface, different movements, different, different interaction paradigms, okay. exactly. Right. Um, and so it really, even though you're designing one code base, that single code base when deployed to different platforms okay. will have different interaction. Challenges.
0: Yeah, and and while we're talking. Um, of course, this is a, an audio recording, so you didn't see my immediate reaction was to move around with my thumbs and my fingers, so which means there's a physical component to what you're doing, even Absolutely. though it's software design.
2: Absolutely, yes. So that's an added challenge. It is a challenge, yeah, okay. and um, when we deal with our clients and our partners, we do have to take those things into consideration, the remote switch buttons are, are being used, how those buttons map to
0: the functions on okay. the screens, those types of things are very important. Is Are the people, the users, Know, you're not working directly with the users, I guess. You're working with these, these hardware systems okay. people or whatever, but you need to understand the users because of that interface. We absolutely do. We need to understand how people um, use
2: this type of technology, their attitudes towards watching video consuming, video consuming television okay. so that we can design for them. Our research, the research folks on our UX team do interact with our clients. Clients order to answer those questions okay. um, and you know like Dan said when you when you're
0: designing for different platforms there are, there are different challenges you face. So what does how about you tell me a little bit about yourselves what does a, a, a team manager do to unit? You know?
3: So I, uh, I actually just changed roles but uh, the team manager here the role uh, is basically um, you're an engineer you're still participating in in, uh, in projects so you're still writing code but you also have a people element to your, uh, your, your role in the sense that you, uh, you run one-on-one meetings with the, uh, the, the engineers that are working here on projects. So just to make sure that they're okay um, uh, and that they're, you're providing coaching for their career, um, it really is about to make sure that they have that consistency. The reason for that is that in our services organization, we have many customers The projects change Requirement based on the time, our, te- our teams are very agile. They change regularly, so that the team manager is the person that's there uh, for the uh, engineer to uh, to talk to at a consistent rate. Right, so they, they never change. Okay. So just so that there's a bit of career progression with the same people.
0: What about the director of UX? Do you work within with a team? How does that work out? Um, yeah, I actually work
2: with a few teams uh, as well as the management team, but as far as the UX team goes, we have uh, researchers, and those are the people that will, like we said, go out and answer those questions. We have visual designers who put the presentation layer on. We have interaction designers who actually deal with how the mechanics of the screen are going to work, and then we have motion designers. And so we Distinct
0: disciplines within the UX team that we, uh, that we work with. Okay, and as as director of UX, are you head of a team? Are you head of several teams? How does that how does that work on a daily basis? Um, yeah,
2: all of the above. All of the above. Okay. <laughs> um, really. So we have our disciplines, and, and those are teams in and of themselves with managers to lead them. So the visual, the interaction design, and the motion team then we also will uh, co-locate, for example, with, uh, with the teams that Dan's, Dan's running. Okay. So those teams of engineers, developers, testers will have UX uh, designers and, and architects embedded. Okay. So
0: uh, so there is the mix of uh, management styles. That... Okay. Now, when you were talking about your job, then, yeah. what I was thinking is I always go back. I was trained as a physicist before I became an engineer. Got a PhD in physics taught me nothing about HR, right. and managing teams. Where how, it, where did you develop that knowledge, those skills? Is it in your computer engineering degree or it came, which I I have a big question about, yeah. how did it happen?
3: I would say it wasn't necessarily, but still there was some aspect to it in my education. I, I remember um, when I was in school, I was always kind of the go-to person when we worked on the projects to deal with issues. So I think it kind of started there. Um, But once I started doing my career, then um, I became a tech lead first, and then I was responsible for the technology. But you kind of end up dealing with people a bit there because you don't have technology without people, right? So I started honing my my skills there and then um, also had the chance to work with uh, great managers and great leads. So they've actually. Yeah, so mentors. they've actually taught me a lot of things. But when it actually started in the sense that I moved towards a bit more coaching and mentorship, uh, I had an opportunity to do some volunteering in high schools in Ottawa uh, to so basically high schools had uh, projects, uh, high school students rather. They would come up with their own projects. And they had no idea how to write software. So I kind of started mentoring them and guiding them on how to do it. I had nothing to do. Like I was not implementing anything. They were doing everything on their own, but I was still there once a week, available on, on Slack uh, or an instant messaging platform uh, to answer questions. So I kind of gave them guidance of more how to solve problems, coach them and things like that. And that actually led me to get into uh, people, people leadership.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, and how does one become a UX designer? Is it something that you say, you mm-hmm. learned that at university? You learned that around the way? Where does that yeah, come yeah. from? That's, that's
2: a, a very pertinent question because I think we are, we're undergoing a real shift. Um, I learned how to be a UX designer at university. Okay. So um, my undergrad is in psychology, okay. uh, but I, I studied with the people that, that founded the Human-Oriented Technology Lab Carlton. So mm-hmm. the, the hot lab um, was a UX training ground. Mm-hmm. And then I went to do a master's in user interface design in England. Uh, but not everyone, it's actually a little bit rare to find people that are actually formally trained mm-hmm. uh, in UX. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people use um, extra curricular courses, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's Udemy or, you know, what have you. Um, some people read books, some people job so there's all sorts of paths that lead to UX um, but I did have uh, formal training both in my undergrad and in my
0: graduate. And the people in your teams do they tend to be more formally trained or did they have one aspect of the required skills or or how do you see that in your teams? We
2: are pretty much all formally trained so we, we have people from all sorts of different disciplines, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily being able to show a a UX degree, Mm -hmm. but we have people with computer science degrees, Mm -hmm. we have people with uh, cognitive science, uh, cognitive ergonomics, we have people with interactive uh, media design diplomas, Uh, there are aspects of the fundamentals of UX in many different disciplines that can then be applied to the practice of UX. I've also
0: worked with people that were trained in architecture and they're doing okay. UX design now. So. Okay. So they have aspects of the, the entire skill set you need in the team. Yes. So that they, they tend to be design, people who like designing or have been trained to design. Exactly. But all with a different yep. uh, Exactly. Okay. And is it how we hear a lot more about UX design today than we did a, a few years ago? Has anything changed or is it just because we're becoming more conscious of what's what's happening in, in the companies and in terms of development? We hear a lot about it because we hear about technologies that were brought to market and the feeling certainly in the media is that it was maybe designed by computer science and engineers but it was not necessarily well thought out yes, in terms yes, of how people use it. It's been quite a hit in the media. Absolutely. Do you see a shift or is it, or is it for you too, is it business as usual? I'm going to ask Dan to answer that first, actually, from an engineering standpoint. Yeah, I
3: actually see a shift. I mean, when I started uh, working after I graduated, um, I was the UX designer. Um, Had no such formal training of anything having to do with design. Okay. So I just did things that I presume was okay. Now, I think I was, I had some level of knowing that simpler is better, and some idea of how the users think, but at the end of the day, it was still guess games, right? I had no no idea. So, and over the next, I would say, five years, you actually saw it come up, right? And you, uh, so probably around 2010, it was becoming more and more, uh, maybe at that point, still a buzzword, because people didn't really see the value of it. And then I, after that, I actually started I actually shifted my career from back end development to front end development and actually go and seek out opportunities where I actually could implement more uh, more front end work and interact with designers.
0: Okay. So you, you talked a little bit earlier about the fact that you've done team projects, that yeah. the university thing. Does that help? That environment, or did you really have to relearn the team environment later? No, on? well,
3: I would say it helps. Uh, yeah. Where it was a bit different is the multidisciplinary okay. side of things, which so that's a big aspect of the we, year yeah, year. which didn't really exist in in school, right? I think we all end up taking different roles in teams in school, but there was we all we're all doing the same courses like. Either computer science engineering, maybe electrical engineering at the time, maybe software as well, but uh, we're all trying to get a, a an engineering degree of some sort, right. right? So I think there's a bit of a difference there because um, you know we're all thinking about what we have to do in terms of the work when we see designs not necessarily coming up with the better design, right? So I would say that our at least at the time, our tendency was to cut corners and do whatever was easier. <laughs> I don't believe yeah. it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> But in your case, Bob and the people around you, are they, you already mentioned that they have, in some cases, vastly different backgrounds. Yes. How does that mesh together? Does it require you to be very proactive to bring it together? Do they come in with the multidisciplinary expertise? Uh, are you looking to, for that, uh, experience in the young people that are joining the team or is that something you develop in-house in house in UI? You... It would be great if they all had that experience okay. coming in, but they don't. Okay. Um, and I think
2: the, the multidisciplinary as- aspect is fundamental to the, the practice of UX because UX is really an umbrella term. And you see that reflected both in job descriptions when you're out there looking, um, yeah. you have two Identical titles with vastly different job descriptions, responsibilities, uh, background requirements, etc. But you also see it in the training. So um, if you go to U of T or RU, for example, um, you'll find most of their UX training in computer science or engineering. If you go to Carleton, their UX program uh, is under psychology or was under psychology, right? And we, we see um, UX programs under cognitive science, we see people with linguistic backgrounds, like Dan said, architectural backgrounds. So uh, we really needed to turn that into a strength rather than a weakness. Right. So some people come with more of a background in doing quantitative research, some in qualitative research, others in visual design, some in motion design, and everybody has a part to play in some. We're all working on the same thing, but yeah. right? if you think of it like a diamond, right? There's different facets and aspects mm-hmm.
0: that you can look at if you approach it from different angles. You've said something that uh, last week when we were recording the, the, uh, the previous podcast, we were sitting down with a UX designer who's an applied psychologist, so an- another, an- another perspective. He used the word research quite a bit. I don't and, know you're talking and about so <laughs> I'm kind of curious when you're talking about research I did yes. my PhD in physics so I have my perspective about research yes what what are you talking about the linear, when you when you talk about
2: research. research again that's an umbrella term right yeah that can mean many different things to many yeah. different people what I'm actually talking about is the scientific method okay right? and whether you're doing research into particle physics or mm-hmm. whether you're doing research into cardiology mm-hmm. it is that scientific method of having a high of uh, controlling your environment uh, if you're really looking for uh, those performance benchmarks or sometimes you have do more ethnographic research where the context of the use is more important to be uh, considered. It's really about applying that scientific method, controlling your extraneous variables so that you can isolate that dependent from the independent variable, right? Um, And so when we're talking about research, it's is it faster to navigate with the click button mm-hmm. or is it faster to navigate with the cursor keys on the keyboard? Well, my hypothesis is the you know the click button is is faster. Right. Let's figure out if we can prove that. Yeah. Okay. All right. The other the other aspect of the research is what do people think? We call it a mental model, but what do people think about the organization of the content, how it should be presented, um, in terms of when it's easiest to. Understand process and active learning. So it really
0: is proving or disproving a bunch of hypotheses. Okay. And you know, last summer, what we did uh, in the Faculty of Engineering, we actually hired a bunch of students, a small bunch of students from the Faculty of Arts, brought them together with a bunch of students from the Faculty of Engineering. Brilliant. And we had a few months before we had a competition where they developed an interactive technological work of art, which was a tabletop. We said, scale it up. They're actually in, in the STEM complex now. Okay, the wall is is 12 feet wide, 14 feet wide. I should be in meters. The wall is actually something like three meters wide or more, two meters high. It's an interactive wall. It's terrific. The story of how they came together yeah. is 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 actually we recorded some of them in one of our podcasts. It's really interesting. It didn't click on day one. It, bringing them together, and and I was surprised that. We, we had thought that, you know, the whole story was about the art students not having a common language with the engineering students. The reality is the art students didn't necessarily have a common language amongst themselves. Yes. So there's a lot to work with there. Are, th- are those things that you see in the teams when you're hiring people? Is that part of the adaptation?
3: I, I would say so. I mean, I, I remember when I started doing front end work with designers. I mean, my intention going there was, I want to work on something that people love to use, mm-hmm. but then you're, we're, we know how the technology works and sometimes there's visions that are not attainable in certain time frames and everything. And then you kind of, the first reaction is a bit more confrontational than it needs to be. Uh, I've gotten better since. I've known. I've known better, but it's really about. I think what I've learned out of it is you need to be collaborating. Like we're all building the same thing. We're all. We all have the same goal. So I think it's really about. I mean, it's negotiation sometimes in terms of hey, there's something we want to do at the uh, at the uh, you know, front end side of things. How can we implement this? And then. Either we quickly prototype it or we know it's not going to be trivial to do that. And then there's a conversation of what we can actually achieve in the, uh, the time frame we've got. But um, really the, the goal is to collaborate and speak to achieve the best outcome. And I'm presuming that if there's a wall being set up that they've,
0: they've probably gotten to that point. Mm-hmm. They have. Yeah. And, and they managed to get through But it was quite challenging. But and yeah. Coaching and mentoring was critical yeah. to get them through the, yeah. the, the, the more difficult paths. Yeah. And I, from listening to them speak, there was a lot of soul searching yeah. too and finding their way through that. But what I, what I kind of realized is that
3: we're not, we're not, we might be speaking different languages, but we're really saying the same, right. Things, yeah. same thing. Right. right? And you need to realize that yes. at some point yes. in your team, right? Yeah. That you're talking yeah. about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. We may, might care about partic- you know, specifics in different areas, but... We both, you know, both practices actually want to make the best possible product or, or project. And yeah. so the, the, in, the, the goal is completely common.
0: Yeah. Listening to you to speak, I get the sense that UX design is a term we use today, but if things keep evolving, we'll just talk about proper product design. Is yeah. that the intent or will there always be something? Do you see, in the future of of designing products, is UX a term we use a lot today that's actually going to disappear because everybody's going to have to use that kind of approach to develop a proper product? Or is it something uh, that's a little bit more unique than that and those companies that are are actually using UX design will have an advantage? I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. Okay.
2: Um, Because both of those statements are actually true. Okay. Uh, Number one, technology changes. And Mm -hmm. yes, the term will disappear because 10 years ago we called ourselves interaction Mm -hmm. designers, and 10 years before that we called ourselves interface designers. Um, So there's gonna be some other term that that replaces it as everyone tries to be new and hip. Um, But fundamentally there is always going to be an aspect of design when you're dealing as dan said with people mm-hmm. right uh, there is this abstraction layer between the technology and the people uh, where we can't really expose people to uh, to command line code and expect them to do something uh, so there will always be that abstraction layer mm-hmm. the earlier in the process that we start thinking about that abstraction layer the better it will be okay. so a lot of the times the eighties and the nineties, the technology would be preeminent. The technological solution would be baked in stone or cast in stone, mm. and then that abstraction layer would start to be considered. And we all have tried to program VCRs in the eighties. Oh yeah. And with you know. Disastrous results. Yes. But now
0: You know you do know most of
2: our students now don't know what no this I, got, I understand that. Okay. I, I'll just
1: give them a little homework
2: to <laughs> go um, but you know We're, we're all seeing
0: <laughs> the number 1200 flashing on L C D. You all know exactly what I meant, right?
2: but you know, Dan and I, the earlier we collaborate and I really enjoy working with Dan, his teams, and the other engineers and software developers here.
1: Because the earlier
2: that collaboration and integration happens, the better it is for the end users right. and, and their products. And so, yes, um, there will be an evolution of what we call the discipline and even how we interact with things. We're now doing a lot of voice integration, for example. Okay. There's always gestures uh, at some point. As what the user As with what the, uses how the user To, interacts. Inter- to interact. Okay. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So that technology is going yeah. to change. Okay. Um, but fundamentally we have to collaborate, Dan and I have to collaborate closely
0: to be successful and we have to understand the user. Is your is are the products that UI T V developing uh, mostly for North America or are they around the world right now? Around yeah, the world, mostly
3: for North America, but there's definitely
0: around the world. So that's an added challenge yeah. when you want to try to develop because if you're talking gestures, words, and all of that, it becomes very culturally differentiated, I guess. I mean, we what's what seems perfectly logical for us may not be for customers. Also. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a very
2: practical example, right? Um, when we when we speak in French mm. or Spanish, it is more verbose than just a little bit. A little bit more yeah. verbose. Technically, it's about 30% more verbose. Really? That much? Yes. Okay. So when we're designing something that's going to be multilingual, mm-hmm. if you think about the titles and the right. words that appear on the screen, we yeah. have to, if we know it's going to be translated into Fran- Spanish or French, we have to leave space for right. extra verbosity, okay. right? Okay. Cyrillic, so Russian or yeah. uh, or something like that, that's about 40 to or 45% more verbose. So wow. like you kind of have to understand Exactly um, the markets that you're going to be dealing with in order to design properly.
3: And if you go further, there's some languages that are not left to right; they're right to left. Yeah. So, okay. what, that changes how users approach of that. Course. We tend to present interfaces with the left, topmost yes. leftmost item as yes. the default. Right? Doesn't quite work for different uh, languages
0: as much. Right? So, so you so need you need. Multiple expertise. You need diverse and inclusive people, a teams, also to bring that in. All of these different perspectives that yeah. we may not always think of from the start. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big challenge. Yeah. So that's things cool. like 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 actually bringing those art students and those engineering students and computer science together to do projects while we're training them. That's part of the process that we need to do. To, exactly to, to initiate One, them exactly. to that, make them more comfortable and make them more efficient off the bat when you want to hire them. I get asked a lot, do I need to go back to
2: school and do a master's to work in UX? Yeah. You know, I have a computer science degree. I've never done UX. Do I need to go back to school? I have a linguistics degree. Do I need to go back to school? And you know, the answer varies depending on Mm -hmm. where the person wants to take their career, what they want to do. But I don't think that um, a lot of people know that they are Mm-hmm. In, in UX yeah. and I think for, for your students that's uh, that's a big thing you know where am I where am I going to spend my efforts academically in order to get to my goal well you might already be halfway yeah the, the,
0: the conversation has been super interesting you brought us a lot of very useful information so I really appreciated Dominira and Daniel, the discussion we had today I think it's been really really useful you've given us a lot of information also to what's happening uh, what's happening at UITV, what's happening in the industry, where design is going. So, thank you very much. And I want to thank everybody who helped contribute to the podcast this week. And thank you for listening to us this week. Merci beaucoup. Via la prochaine. Before we finish, I'd like to thank you, the listeners, for joining us for today's discussion. If you have comments or questions, please email us at genie.engineering at that's g-e-n-i-e at uOttawa.ca, or visit us at our faculty webpage, engineering.uOttawa.ca. I also want to thank everyone who contributed to the writing, production, and editing of this podcast, including Francis-Bertrand Lafrenière, Valérie Sanson, and Carl Bournes. Salut à tous! See you next time.
1: To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it.